We're going to look, as has been the sermon series, and I encourage you, if you didn't listen, I listened, Donnie, what a great sermon last week. Um, if you missed it, go back and, and, and listen to it. We're going to continue, and again, looking from the basis of um, the book of Genesis. And I'm going to take you to an incredible set of twins, Jacob and Esau. So Isaac and Rebekah, they have two sons, twins, non-identical, and the one Esau, he's red. Red was cool then, as it is cool now, and I can give you a biblical defensive, even biblically, if you've got red hair, it's cool according to the Bible. So Esau was red, and he was hairy. I don't know if that's confirmed in the Bible. <laughs> he was strong. He was outdoors, first team rugby, first team cricket. I mean, he was a man's man, and his father loved him. And then there was Jacob, and he was born second. And his name means literally heel grabber, which means crook, scallum. And uh, he liked indoors, and um, he was like a nerd before nerds became cool. <laughs> Genesis 25, it says the boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, like Philip Pretorius. And uh, it says that while Jacob, so that's the other brother, was cooking some stew. Esau came back from a hunt, and he's famished, and he says, give me some of that stew, or I'll die. And Jacob says to him, he sees the opportunity, and he says to him, first sell me your birthright. First sell me your birthright. Jacob takes advantage, and Esau says later on, you can read, he despised what he had. So Jacob isn't happy with what he's got. And this is the start of problems when you're not content with what you have. And Esau doesn't care for, and he doesn't steward what he has got. And so this bad deal is done. Jacob takes massive advantage of his brother. And it's like a bad country and western music song, I promise you. When you look at the story, often there's things in the Bible. They're not meant to be like, do this. But they describe what happens, and yet it's a beautiful story of how God comes in and restores relationship. So there's a second act to this. The mother comes to Jacob. For the mother, Jacob was her favorite. For the father, Esau was the favorite. And she says to him, quickly, disguise yourself. Pretend your brother. Pretend you're your brother. I'm going to make some meat, and you're going to go into your father, and you're going to pretend you're Esau, and you're going to receive the blessing from the father, because he's about to die. So he goes in, he's nervous, and the father says, who is it? And he says, I'm Esau, your firstborn. Give me your blessing. Okay, he's just lying through his teeth. Father says, come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. His father wasn't sure. He says, the voice is Jacob's, but you hear it like, like Esau. He says, are you really my son Esau? And he says, I am. And so the father blesses him. So now he's got the birthright and the blessing. When Esau hears about this, he is murderous. I don't know if you've ever been murderous in your family, or I don't know if you've ever felt murderous. I don't know if you've ever felt like crashing into the car in front of you or doing some crazy things. I've had to receive lots of ministry over the years for anger and stuff. Anyway, Esau is murderous. There's many reasons why relationships come into strain. Sin, neglect, fear, Pride, ego, 
godlessness, misunderstanding, thoughtlessness. And so we see the beginning of the slide downwards in Jacob's life. And their relationship between Jacob and Esau is a mess. Relationship between the mother and Esau must have been a mess. Relationship between the father and Jacob must have been a mess. James 1 verse 14 says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is fully conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. We do well to acknowledge when we are the cause of something, when we are the cause of breakdown, even if it's only partly. I mean, in my marriage, I'm right 90% of the time. I mean, you know what I'm saying. (laughs) But I do well to race Nicola to the cross and to apologize first. So Jacob flees. He reaps what he sows. His brother wants to kill him, and he flees for his life, and he, he ends up 30 days' journey, 1,000 kilometers away at Padamaram. And his uncle Laban sees him coming, and he takes him for a ride. He falls in love with the younger daughter, and the uncle says, work for me for seven years. Can you imagine? Seven years' salary how much that comes to. Okay. Seven years' salary, and you can marry my daughter. Comes to the end of the seven years, Jacob says to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed. I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when the evening came, he took his daughter Leah. And you've got to wonder what happened there. I mean, load shedding, <laughs> too much alcohol, He took his daughter Leah, brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her. When the morning came, surprise, there was Leah. So Jacob says to his father-in-law Laban, what is it that you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? I can imagine a conversation between Jacob and his new bride Leah, and he says, In the dark, I called out Rachel, and you answered. And then I can just imagine the conviction of God coming on him, thinking his father called out Esau, and he answered. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Okay, that's the scary news. There's a whole lot of good news later on. So he ends up with the wrong sister, and you've got to see it from her perspective, how she feels, and I don't have time to go into it, but God redeems her, God loves her, God blesses her, and Rachel, I mean, she seemed to rely on the wrong things, not not the Lord. So he works another seven years, and he gets both sisters. was not a good idea to have two wives, let alone sisters. (laughs) As I said, it's a country and western song. (laughs) And his uncle treats him badly. So eventually, after 20 years, 7 plus 7 plus 6 more, God says to him, go back. Go back home. As he starts to go back home, and he sends some messengers ahead to send greetings to his brother and gifts to his brother, the response of the brother is to raise up 400 men 
and come towards you. Okay? This is not a good sign. <laughs> this is not a good sign of, of love and forgiveness and that all is right. Ultimately, for us to be in good relationship with one another, we've got to be right with God. That's where our strength comes. That's where the power comes. As we are good with God, we're able to be good with one another. And, and so Jacob finds himself, he sends everybody ahead like a real hero, you know? Sends the flocks, <laughs> sends the women, <laughs> sends the children, and he's left alone at the river. Jacob was left alone, and there a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of his, Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. But he held on. Can you imagine somebody taking your hip out of its socket, and you carry on? And he said to him, let me go for the day breaks. And he said, I will not let you go except you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he says, Jacob. He acknowledges who he is. <laughs> he comes to terms with who he is. And he said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince have you power with God and with men, and have prevailed. And Jacob asked him, and he said, tell me, I pray, your name. And he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him. Wrestling, judo, story, whatever you see, it's close. It's personal. It's holding right, and it's holding tight. You want to succeed in life? You want to succeed in relationships? It starts with you doing business with God, with you wrestling with God. And this is no mere man. This is a theophany. This is Jesus Christ himself. And no longer is he asking for God to give him food and give him clothing and bring him back. You can read about that. He wants to know God himself. He wants to know God's name. And God deals with him in his strength. And he actually brings him to a place of weakness. And it's in our weakness. It's in our humility. It's in our acknowledging our faults, our mistakes, our failures and our sins that the blessing and the healing of God comes into our lives. And he calls him, no longer Jacob, but Israel. He gives him a new name. He gives him a new identity. He says, you're a fighter with God. You're a prince with God. And he's weak, but he is strong. And from there, Jacob goes across the river. And he's reconciled to Esau. Esau's coming towards him. And says, he himself went on ahead. Now he's no longer sending the women and children first. Now he's going ahead of all of them. He bows to the ground seven times as he approaches his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob. And he embraced him. He threw his arms around him, around his neck, and he kissed him, and they wept. God has done a miracle. And there's reconciliation from him wanting to take him out, destroy him. All of a sudden, his brother comes towards him. And Jacob did some things. He came with humility. He came with apology. He came with restitution. He made right. He sent gifts. But above all, he came with God's favor. And he came with God's blessing. He was right with God. And so God went before him. I remember when I was in the corporate world, um, I went into full-time ministry when I was 40. Before that, I, I had my own company. We sold into a listed entity. Um, 
served on the board, I clashed big time with the CEO. Obviously, he was wrong and I was right. But, um, <laughs> and then God gave me a verse, Proverbs 16, verse 7. It's this, when a, wa- when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. And uh, from being in conflict with this guy, as I was leaving the company, I managed to get my company back, which I'd sold in, for zero. <laughs> I mean, literally, got it back for a rand. As our ways are pleasing to God, you will see reconciliation. You will see favor. You will see blessing on your relationships. So having read that scripture to you, I want to unfold to you four principles in our relationships for us to have a refresh in our relationships, four principles. And the first one is to understand. A couple of things about understanding. We need to understand who the real enemy is. Okay, it's not your business partner. It's not your husband. It's not your wife. It's not your child. There is a devil who wants to steal, kill, and destroy, who wants your relationships to be wrecked. And we do well. You know, there's a part of your brain, part of the human brain, that clicks over and says, enemy. Did you know there's a part of your brain that says, okay, new categorization, enemy. Don't let people become your enemy. Don't put them into that category. See people through the eyes of Christ. Another thing that we need to understand is the consequences of our sin. I joked about me and my wife, but I need to acknowledge my part. I need to have the courage and the humility to understand what I have done, the consequences of of my words, of my deeds, of my pain, my my sin that that I've brought. We had the privilege of going to Belfast. Anybody been to Belfast, Northern Ireland? So you've got these walls, probably twice as high as that, between suburbs and these massive gates that, In an emergency, they close the gates between the Protestants and the Catholics. And it's generation after generation of transmitted offense. I mean, nothing was done to them, but something was done to somebody, not your grandfather, your great-grandfather. And so it's transmitted offense. And and so they, they carry that hurt, that pain. May we be the people that end the battle, that end the fight. May we be the people that are first to apologize. Um, they've, they've got to a place where they can't even remember who did what. You know? Each one remembers the other person's sins. And we all do that. You know? We forget what we did, but we remember so well what the other person did. You know? So we forget our sins, we forget our offenses, we forget our wrongdoings, but we just remember, like the Protestants and like the Catholics, what the other person said. Another thing we must understand is that we shouldn't see disagreement or conflict as the end of the world. If we're going to have healthy relationships, we need to be courageous and willing to go there. Philly, I honor you. I'm so grateful. Philip and I love each other we work together really well, but sometimes we disagree. <laughs> so 
sometimes we would even uh, passionately disagree. <laughs> I know you can't believe that with Philip, right? <laughs> but we, we don't allow that disagreement to lead to sin. And how we see our disagreement, we see it in the perspective of love, and we see it in the perspective of we committed to one another, and we see it in the perspective of, of the long term. So don't see fights as red. In the early days of marriage, because of the brokenness of how I grew up, I used to see a disagreement as like, this is the end of the world. Okay? My marriage is over. You know? How can this be the case? We need to have a healthier and a more mature perspective of saying, what are they trying to say? What is their point? How do they see it? And not see this as, not go red when somebody disagrees with you and see it as dishonor or the end of the world. And, and the goal of conflict is not necessarily always to solve or to fix things, but to hear the other person's heart and to see things with a different perspective. And if we deal with conflict in a godly way, it's going to result in, in great unity and it's going to result in great connectedness. The choice that we all face when there's a fight, when there's conflict, is are you going to withdraw? I used to be an expert withdrawer. You know? My wife and I would have a fight and then I'd be like, okay, you're not going to have the privilege of my company tonight. I'm going to work tonight. <laughs> I'm going to work downstairs. So I would withdraw. Sometimes I'd react. But you know what God has for us? Is that we respond. That we engage. And that we release. You know, there's always three perspectives in any disagreement. Always three perspectives. There's yours. There's theirs. And then there's God's. And we do well to strive to understand what God's perspective is on a disagreement. There was a time in our marriage when things were going very tough. It was probably the most difficult season of our lives. My wife had, had a back operation that really hadn't gone well, and um, pain meds weren't helping. And um, I was trying to be understanding, but it was, it was a terrible time in our marriage. It's like five years ago. And um, I met a friend of mine, and he told me this story. Imagine you walk into a room, and the one that you love is fighting a big black beast, like a wolf or a bear. You see her or him or whoever fighting this beast, and you climb in to help them, climb in to fight with them against this big black beast. And in that fight, the one you love scratches you. They kick you. They bite you. <laughs> Not on purpose, but in the fighting off the big beast. If that happens, you're not going to take it personally, right? Of course not. That image, that revelation, helped me to just see what my wife was going through. Helped me to understand. Sometimes people are going through difficult seasons. And as we realize the, the stuff that they're saying to us or whatever or how we perceive it, they are fighting big black beasts, and we need to be careful that we don't take things personally. We don't take offenses, because they are fighting something that we need to understand. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 16 says this, From now on, therefore, 
we regard no one according to the flesh. When I'm engaging with people, I'm trying to look past the white noise of what they're saying and how they're saying it and maybe the rudeness of what they're saying and what they're doing. And I'm trying to say, who is this person that God sees? What is the gift? What is the blessing? What is their point? I don't, see, I don't want to see people just according to the flesh. I want to see them from God's perspective. The Bible says in Ephesians 4 verse 26, in your anger, do not sin. We can be angry. We do get angry sometimes. But what do you do with that anger? <laughs> How do you respond in the place of somebody sinning against you? God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Um, there's a verse in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. that says, if you're offering your gift at the altar, so it's your highest moment of glory to God, you've come to the temple, you've gone through the outer courts, and now you're at the altar. I mean, this is it. You've taken a whole year before you come to Jerusalem. If you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. You know what you must do? It says, verse 24, leave your gift in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. We can't say that we, we love God and hate our brother and sister. We need to be right with God and our brother and sister. So, next point, we need to forgive. Um, Remember what Jesus said, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Okay? The degree to which you can expect the forgiveness of God is based on the degree to which you forgive others. I know none of you struggle with forgiveness, but uh, <laughs> let me tell you what I do when I'm struggling with forgiveness. I think about everything that God has forgiven me. I actually go back there. You know, you normally say, forget about your sins. I go back there. And I go, Jesus has been so good to me. How can I not forgive people when Jesus has forgiven me? So, you know, holding on to unforgiveness is, is you drinking poison. You drinking poison. And you're hoping the other person's going to die. May we walk in forgiveness. Thirdly, having understood, having forgiven, sometimes what is required from that point is Setting up godly boundaries. You be responsible for what you're responsible. And don't take other people's responsibility. Romans 12 verse 18 says, If it is possible, as far as depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So you do your bit. But sometimes where that other person is, they're not ready, they're not able. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus told him. And the rich and the ruler turned away. It says that Jesus loved him, but Jesus didn't chase after him. So sometimes after having forgiven, having understood and forgiven, you set up boundaries and you leave it up to that person to deal with their stuff. Last point. Sowing and reaping. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest 
if we do not give up. I want to speak to two groups here. Some of you need to just hold on. (laughs) Some of you need to make sure that you don't give up. Because the word promises us we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. I didn't tell you about my family. I just realized time wouldn't have lied. But there was a season in my relationships with my sons when I had to do battle and not give up. Now they're awesome. They love God. They serve in God. Our relationships are tight. We're going up to the bush on Tuesday with my one son. They want to spend their holidays with us. But we had to not give up. Some of you need to not give up. And you need to ask God for grace, for strength. Be like Jacob, who wrestled with God and became a prince and accessed the power of God. For some of you, for you the message is not give up. Some of you, you've been sowing bad seed. (laughs) You've been sowing bad seed in your relationships. And you're starting to reap what you sowed. I thank God that there is one seed above all, and that is Jesus, who came as the seed that planted himself in the ground and paid the price, so that we don't reap the full consequences of what we've done. Jesus dying on the cross gives us an opportunity to not reap the fullness of our sins. So for some of you today, what is required is accessing Jesus. What is required is humility. What is required is repentance that you acknowledge in relationships where you have been unconsiderate, sinful, selfish, going the way of flesh. If you don't, you will reap a bitter harvest. But if you access Jesus and invite him in, you're a Christian already maybe, or maybe you're not, but if you invite Jesus in into every part of your heart and life, just like Jesus said, I I stand at the door and knock. There's parts of our hearts, parts of our lives that we don't allow him in. As you allow him in, he pays the price. Things change. Can we pray together? For those of you who need to persist, you need to persevere. You've heard the word and And the response for you is is one of, do not be weary. And you need God's strength, God's grace, God's power. You know that that's what he's saying. And you want, you need strength. I'm going to ask that you just be very bold and just, just stand to your feet. You need strength to persevere. You're doing what you should be doing. You need strength to persevere. people standing around you just put your hand on them and and let's pray together Father we pray for power from on high we pray for grace upon grace Lord for your sons and daughters as they as they battle in this area Holy Spirit come upon them give them strength give them grace just lift up your hands Lift up your hands, sign of surrender. Lord, your word says that your power is perfected in our weakness. Pray for a refresh in these relationships. 
pray for a refresh in the hearts of these men and women standing, Lord, to persevere and to keep going. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I'm going to continue in prayer. Okay, big ask now. If you've been messing up, you've been sinning, you've been selfish, you haven't been apologizing, in this area, you've been sowing seed, breaking of trust, unkind words, whatever it might be. As I said, God gives grace to the humble. If you know that you're heading towards receiving a, a bitter harvest, maybe it's at work, maybe it's at home, maybe it's with your spouse, your children, then I'm going to ask that you stand now. And we're going to pray for you. Thank you, Jesus. Pastor Donnie, won't you help me? There's no shame in this. We've all done it. But you just stand up. Lord, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for what you did in the life of Jacob as he wrestled with you. Lord, you went before him and, and things came right with Esau. Father, I pray, we pray, Lord God, where we have sown bitter seed, Lord, that there'd be a, a harvest failure. And, and Lord, that we would receive what you died for, peace and joy and love and reconciliation. Lord, we stand with our brothers and sisters in this, in this area. Lord, for a crop failure of what they've done and instead the blessing. And I ask everybody to stand. <clears throat> just eyes closed. Just reminded also of that scripture in Matthew where a man goes to, to see the Caesar and he owes him money and everything is, is written off. But yet when it comes for him to do the same to somebody that owes him far less, he does not do so. And so just really sensing that some of us are standing here this morning and you need to forgive as you have been forgiven. Standing here this morning because of mercy and grace that we have freely received. Maybe you've heard the words, I am sorry, please forgive me. But you are holding back. And I ask you in this moment just to, just to forgive. And I ask you just to forgive. Just pray there on your own. There's people that you need to just this morning say, I hear you. I receive your apology and I forgive. 